As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. When it comes to reckless drivers in Milwaukee, they literally have no respect for your life. It's hard to top this one. Running resin broad day, that's me. Stopped by police 35 times in three years. You got the worst driving record I've ever seen. I mean, you just let go to continue violating the law. Folks are just plain fed up. This is not going to be acceptable behavior in this city. Now, a new tool for police. I think this is a good step. To put the brakes on reckless driving. What's wrong with lowering the boom? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined by Contact 6's Jenna Sachs. Hey, Jenna. Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, April 28th. And in just three days, Milwaukee police will be able to do something new to deal with the city's most dangerous drivers. For the first time, they'll actually be able to impound their cars, at least temporarily. It's something community leaders have been clamoring for, including especially the Sherman Park Community Association, which went so far as to form its own reckless driving commission to raise awareness of this problem. Last night, we profiled one specific driver, a young man named Dyrule Chaplin, who is emblematic of not just the problem, but also how ineffective enforcement of this problem has been up to this point. If you've watched the story, I know you have, Jenna, it's um, it really stands out. He's just been stopped over and over and over again. And what you really notice in watching is is his attitude about it. It's just not a big deal. He's not he doesn't have time for this. You know, I, I've got to go. I've got to, you know, get this done in a hurry. Can, can we get out of here? He doesn't see the traffic stop as a big deal. I can't just give my name and stuff so I can hurry up the process. I really got to go. Yeah, I would say he seemed pretty flippant about the whole situation. Obviously, if you're stopped 35 times in a matter of what, two years, it seems you're not taking three years. But yeah, says still very short years. amount of time. It seems like he didn't care about the consequences of what he was doing if he didn't change his behavior. It was fascinating to watch this footage you had from police, of all the police interactions with him, of him being stopped time and time again. Um, You said he was stopped 35 times in, in three years. Is he the worst out there? Or are there drivers that are more problematic? You know, it's 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 hard to say for certain that he is the worst because there's so many different criteria. But in terms of the data we looked at, and, and I actually got three years of traffic citations from Milwaukee police from their uh, Tracks 10 database. It's the system that the state of Wisconsin uses to keep track of of municipal citations of traffic traffic violations all across the state. And so they pulled thousands and thousands and thousands of, of data records for us. Um, and, you know, I set out to review those and look for who are the worst repeat offenders. His name, when I did sort of the, the searching that I did, didn't wasn't at the top of the list, but it was really close to the top. And what I found is the two people whose names were listed above him in terms of how the frequency that they showed up in these records. One was actually a father and son, a senior and junior. So 
as you know, you sort of break that down, and, and neither one of them rose above uh, Mr. Chaplin. But uh, the, the the number one name, there were some other things in there that really weren't involving reckless driving. They were other types of issues. So when it came to things like speeding and running red lights and stop signs and driving while suspended or revoked, cutting people off in traffic and so on, it really looked like Chaplin was the worst offender, at least in terms of frequency. Now, there may be people who've driven faster, who've been in more serious crashes and other types of things, who've run from police more often or gone on high-speed chases. But in terms of just the sheer frequency of being stopped for serious traffic violations, Chaplin was at the top of my list. Is this how you found him, by reviewing those records, or were you aware of him beforehand? No, that was exactly it. It was a matter of uh, knowing that we have a problem. And, and what I wanted to see, what I really set out to see in the beginning was how effective police have been with their new traffic safety unit, which we'll talk about. They, they in 2021 dedicated 20 police officers to just doing traffic enforcement because reckless driving has been such a high profile issue and such a big problem. What I wanted to see is, well, just how many more tickets are they writing now than they were before? And I thought a three-year period would give us a good ability to review a full year before the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, and then what had happened since they instituted this new traffic safety unit. And we did find that information as well. But once I had this data in my hands, I, you know, it was obviously very tempting to say, OK, who's the worst? I mean, who's who's doing this the most? And and just by, you know, sorting and, and slicing the data, it wasn't too hard to, to find who rose to the top. And as I said, as we looked at the sort of seriousness of the violations and frequency combined, Chaplin was was at the top of the list. And your story really raised the question of is the ticket enough, right, to discourage someone from continuing with reckless driving. Has this individual, Chaplin, has he ever been charged with a crime or does he just get those tickets and throw them in the back seat? What do you think is happening? Well, and that's something I didn't have time to talk about in the story last night, because what we talked about and what I focused on in the story on Wednesday night was the 35 tickets. And these, by the way, are not all Milwaukee police. 21 times he was stopped by Milwaukee police in those three years. The other 14 were Milwaukee County Sheriff deputies, I think nine times, Elm Grove police once, um, I think Glendale police, and, and there might have been a couple of others. And these, by the way, are just the ones we know about because those municipal uh, or the Elm Grove and Glendale cases showed up in CCAP, that's online court records, because they actually were uh, charged as criminal traffic cases. Um, otherwise, they would be municipal tickets. You would have to go city by city to find evidence of those municipal citations. There may well be a whole slew of other municipal tickets that he's gotten in suburban communities. The data I have is from the city of Milwaukee. So I, I once his name rose to the top, I also did an individual search on him in CCAP and was able to find the ones from the sheriff's office. Those show up in CCAP and then the ones that involve Glendale and Elm Grove. So I can't say for sure there aren't some others on this list who would have had a long list of, of tickets from sheriff's office or other municipalities. We just know these 35 at least have been written against Chaplin. That's what I focused on last night. But the question of criminal charges, um, a criminal traffic case still isn't quite a misdemeanor or a felony. It's a traffic case that may involve driving while revoked or, or something like that. It's sort of classified in CCAP as a criminal traffic case, but it's still really, in many ways, just a glorified traffic ticket. But he did have one case, two actually, in 2019, that were charged as crimes. One was for fleeing police, 
and the other one was for recklessly endangering safety. And in both of those cases, they were sort of combined and they were treated as essentially one case for the purposes of sentencing. One of the cases was dismissed and as part of a plea agreement. The other one he pleaded guilty to, which I believe was the fleeing charge. And he got 18 months of probation. And as I said, I didn't talk about this in the story, but it's just another layer here. He was sentenced to 18 months of probation in 2020 and was stopped another 21 times after that for driving, you know, recklessly speeding, running red lights and stop signs. But his conditions of probation, for whatever reason, did not include following traffic laws. So it wasn't deemed to be a violation of his probation to keep driving recklessly again and again and again. So he's still on probation right now as we're speaking here. He's still on probation, I think, through July of this year. And yet, if he continues to uh, to violate the law, just traffic laws, just get traffic citations, it won't be a violation of his probation. So in most cases, he's just getting a ticket. And in almost every case, you're right, he crumples it up and throws it in the back seat, or at least proverbially does. He doesn't pay the fines. We found in the story he had $9,300 in pending fines that have not been paid. Um, and that, that was a total that came from 73 individual Milwaukee municipal tickets. What makes the story, I think, really compelling is the body camera and the squad car videos of all of his traffic stops. Did you notice anything interesting in those videos when you were reviewing all of them about his interactions with police or his attitude when he was stopped? Um, was he serious about what had happened? Was he cavalier? What did you notice? I think he was, I think it's clear in watching those videos, what stands out is his attitude that he doesn't seem to care. And not only does he not care, he's impatient with the officer. Like he's been inconvenienced for being stopped. And on more than one occasion, he says, can we just hurry this up? I'm in a rush. I got to get somewhere. Can I just, get, he doesn't even have a driver's license on him. So he says, can I just give you my name and we get this done? I want to go. Um, and, and the officers don't respond like, hey, man, you you were driving dangerously. You could have really hurt someone. They often seem to respond, yeah, yeah, sir, I'm going to hurry this up. This won't take long. Almost as though they want him to understand I'm not going to inconvenience you. And, and in watching that, there is certainly a question. You do wonder what kind of pressure officers are under to try to maintain a sort of a positive interaction. Obviously, there's been a lot of pressure on law enforcement with some of the interactions they've had with people in the community. I don't know if that plays into this, but certainly as you watch it, you don't get the impression that they are impressing upon Mr. Chaplin that this is serious. They seem to be saying, you're right, you're right, I'm, I'm going to get this done real fast, we'll get you on your way. So he doesn't take it seriously. Um, what The reason I wanted those videos, though, wasn't actually to see what kind of an attitude he has. What I wanted to see, and what I've wondered for a long time, I mean, I'm not in law enforcement, I don't know, but I just always kind of wondered, when you've stopped someone who doesn't have a driver's license, and they don't have license plates, and they're driving a car without insurance or registration, well, what happens at the end of the stop? Do you arrest him? Do you impound the car? Or do you just let him go? And if you let him go, isn't he driving away illegally? Isn't he immediately violating the law again? And what I found in watching these videos was exactly that's just what happens. They write the ticket and they let him drive away. They know as he drives away, he's once again breaking the law. But I guess, well, we've written the ticket, so that's good enough. Up until now, that's all that's happened. And clearly, since he's not paying the fines, he's not really feeling any consequence. He keeps his car. He doesn't have to pay a fine. They let him drive away. 
He's not arrested. He doesn't really lose all that much time. Um, so it does raise that question of what is the consequence for someone like that. So in response to the issue of reckless driving in Milwaukee, police launched the traffic safety unit, I believe, last year. What impact has that had so far? Have they had any successes? Um, could you tell us a bit more about that unit and what they aim to do? Well, and, and I think that's the, the thing is, is what defines success? Because they have certainly, if you look at the numbers, they have definitely ramped up enforcement in terms of writing citations. And for some people, that's going to be effective. Some people don't want to have their license suspended for unpaid tickets. They're going to pay those tickets. For some people, it will have an impact. Um, we looked at what, as I mentioned, I got this data from police because I wanted to see the trends in traffic citations. And I isolated speeding alone just because there are so many different kinds of violations. And, it, and unfortunately, the data that we got doesn't say how fast they were going over the speed limit. We know they were speeding. We don't know if it was five over or 25 over or 40 over. But in looking at just the sheer number of speeding tickets written in 2019, and I wanted to compare, by the way, the same period of time. So the traffic safety unit started in March. The data we have was through, I think, September. So I, I just went March 1 through October, or pardon me, through August 31st. That's a six-month period. So six months in 2021 with the traffic safety unit compared to six the same six months in 2020 during the pandemic compared to the same six months in 2019 before the pandemic. And if you look at that, in 2019, there were about 5,000 speeding tickets. In 2020, traffic had obviously dropped off because of the pandemic. There were 3,300 or so, I think it was, 3,500 speeding tickets. In 2021, in the first six months of the traffic safety unit, more than 15,400 speeding tickets. So it had quadrupled since 2020 and tripled since 2019. Um, that's a significant number of tickets written. In terms of just sheer numbers, you could point to that and say there's there's some real success there. But obviously, the case of Daryl Chaplin uh, indicates that for those who don't care about traffic tickets, who just throw them in the back seat and don't pay them, for those really egregious drivers, it hasn't been particularly effective. You mentioned earlier that there was a change in tow policy. How is that going to affect reckless drivers? Did that just go into effect? Is it about to go into effect? It was voted. So, so this is a, a new policy. The Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission sets policy for the police department, and they approved a change in the city's towing policy um, that allows them to tow via police to have vehicles towed uh, when they're dealing with a reckless driver under certain conditions. And this was something that had been pushed by some community leaders that Sherman Park Reckless Driving Commission pushed for this and a, a community I don't know if activist is the right word, but a, a former public works director for Milwaukee County and someone who's been very involved in community issues, a man named Tyrone Dumas. Um, he'd been writing to police and, and city aldermen and the mayor for a long time saying you've got to do more about reckless drivers. And specifically, he kept hammering on the idea that you need to not just ticket them, you need to tow their cars. Take away the tool, the weapon they are using to kill people because we know reckless drivers are killing people in the city. So you need to tow the car. And it turns out that Dumas goes way back with uh, Jeffrey Norman, who is now the city's new chief of police. And he was emailing the chief. And in fact, he was copying me on many of these because he knows I follow these issues. And so there was an email exchange between 
uh, Tyrone Dumas and Chief Norman, where he said, you need to start towing these vehicles. And Chief Norman replied, and he kept me in the loop on this email, and he said, you know, your pleas are not falling on deaf ears. We're looking into the legalities of this, but there are some, you know, questions. So they were talking to the city attorney's office about what can and can't we do. And there's an important point in terms of legality and legal limitations that has to do with why the tow policy came out the way it did. And I'll get to that in just just a minute. But ultimately, the chief worked with, uh, you know, members of his department and they worked with Fire and Police Commission to come up with this new policy that will allow officers to tow reckless drivers under limited circumstances. And those circumstances include, first and foremost, the car has to be unregistered. And that has to do with the legal entanglements I was just talking about. But first, if the vehicle is not registered properly and the driver was doing one of four things, they were going 25 miles per hour or more over the speed limit, they were engaging in what is otherwise known as you know, recklessly endangering safety, um, which I think is probably a, a whole wider term to define. I'm not exactly sure what the standard is for that. Or if they were fleeing from police or racing. Any of those things... They can now tow their cars. Um, and, and so it's it's a step beyond just writing a ticket because obviously now they can't just drive away from that traffic stop. And they aren't allowed to get their vehicle back until the vehicle is registered, right? Yeah, that's one of the questions that I had because Tyrone Dumas, when he was pushing for this, and, and he says in the story we aired last night that he wanted police to take away their car for 30 days. And I asked police captain Jeffrey Sun about this new policy just a few days ago and he said he was not aware of there being any time limit on how long the car is to be impounded in theory the reckless driver could go right to the tow lot and as soon as it's you know towed into the lot he could go right to the front desk and he or she could get it right back out but to do so they have to meet certain conditions and the department of public works operates the tow lot I talked to Brian Deneve who's a spokesperson he said among the things that that driver would need to do to get their car back out. Number one, they have to have the title of the car. It has to be registered in their name. They have to have a valid driver's license or bring someone with them who has a valid license and and they have to be insured. Now, we already know that people who have cars that are not insured, if they don't have proper insurance, they're not allowed to drive them off the city tow lot. But the way around that is they can pay a city tow lot employee $25 to drive it out to the street and then what they do for it, with it from there is their business. So essentially, instead of getting insurance, they just pay 25 extra bucks to have the car driven out and dropped off on the curb. I asked if that would be the case here, too. And at least from what DPW tells me, that will not be an option for reckless drivers who have unregistered vehicles that are towed. They will, in fact, have to show proof of registration. And since, by definition, these cars will not be registered, it means they will have to get the car properly registered before they can get it back out of the tow lot. They will also have to pay for towing, which is $105, storage, $20 per day, and they have to pay a $60 unregistered vehicle ticket. So there's going to be some cost, and obviously the the fact that they need to get the car properly registered. There will be some barriers to getting the car back out easily, but in theory, they could still get it out the same day. There was one person in your story who expressed the viewpoint that this change might impact drivers of color who are poor but not necessarily dangerous. Uh, what do supporters of the policy change say to that? Well, and I think this is something that, that police in crafting this were cognizant of because 
they set the 25 mile per hour limit. Um, uh, you know, the, this had to be someone doing at least 25 miles per hour over or more um, for a couple of reasons. And one of those was they didn't want to ensnare people who were maybe just in a hurry to get to work, but aren't otherwise particularly dangerous and reckless, careless drivers who are swerving, you know, into the into the you know shoulder to pass people. They're not passing people at intersections. They're not blowing red lights, but they get caught doing 16 over one day and suddenly their car's taken away. That could have a real impact, especially on someone who can't afford to get that car back out. They determined that 25 miles per hour over the limit was a level of egregiousness that you know you're driving dangerously, you're putting people's lives in danger, and at that point, you know, it's on you that this is a cost you should bear, you know, that's the price you pay for the safety of the community. Um, They also looked at it from a standpoint of just sheer numbers. They looked at how many of their tickets involved people driving 25 miles per hour or more over the limit versus something less than that, and they tried to cut it off at a point where they said, I think we could realistically tow and store this many cars, because if you set it at 15, suddenly there's a huge, if you sort of look at the the curve of of how many that would apply to, there would be just way too many people being towed and cars being impounded, it would be untenable. Um, so they set the level at 25 miles per hour for that reason. Supporters of this say, though, that the idea that you are more concerned about the impact on, on poor drivers than you are about people in the community who are being innocently either struck or their, their properties being damaged, they say that's, that's just the wrong focus. They said that, that right now this is so out of control. There are people who are having their homeowner's insurance jacked up because cars are running into houses. It's becoming more expensive to insure your home in Milwaukee simply because of the fear that someone's going to run off the road and crash into a house. It happens more often than you, you would think. And it, obviously we see it on the air because we show those videos all the time on the news where some car has run into someone's, someone's home. Well, obviously insurance has to cover that. And, and so insurance rates go up. So innocent people are being hurt by this in a lot of ways. And supporters say it is possible that there are people who will not be able to afford to get their cars back out. It's going to be a real inconvenience. But in, in some ways they say that's the point. Well, it was nice to see in your story that some action was being taken because reckless driving has been identified as a top concern for people who live in the city of Milwaukee, and it's a complicated issue. There's a lot of different reasons contributing to it. We've mentioned Kia thefts before, a lot of young people involved in that, and now we have someone who seems to be very flippant about his driving in your story. So it's nice to see some action being taken. I, I'm really interested in seeing how many people um, have this tow policy impact them in the future and if it motivates them to stop the behavior or, you know, it's just nice to see some sort of effort to curb the problem. Well, and, and one of the things, you know, if, if you we talk to so many people in the community about this and, and we hear over and over that they want to see police get tougher, the courts get tougher on this. And there are a lot of other ways of addressing reckless driving that are already happening. The city is re-engineering many of the streets. They're adding curb bump outs to make it harder to pass at intersections or to go around people and run red lights. They're trying to shrink the the just the you know the the width of the streets so that traffic is uh they said that, that naturally slows traffic down. And I think for the average person who maybe sometimes just has a bit of a lead foot or isn't is being I would say careless or not cautious rather than outright reckless those things may well be effective but for someone who do, just doesn't care 
who is, and as we saw in this story, this is a person who is recording himself and posting live streams to Facebook where he's driving recklessly and, and bragging about how recklessly he's driving. You know, curb bump outs aren't going to slow someone like that down. Um, necessarily. Um, speed humps aren't necessarily going to stop him from doing the kinds of things he's doing. So for people who want to see tougher enforcement, obviously, they, they welcome this kind of change. Now, is it going to solve the problem? Probably not. Consider there are a number of people, one, who have registered vehicles, who therefore can continue to do this without being towed. It's less likely. I think in most of these cases, we see the most dangerous drivers. They are driving either a car that's not properly registered or they're driving a stolen car. And that is one of the criticisms here is this won't stop young people who go out and steal cars. The Kia boys, those types of people. If it's not their car, what do they care if it gets towed? Um, but in Dyrell Chaplin's case, I think that's a really interesting example here because it was his car. He had the title. Every time he was pulled over, he immediately handed the title to the police officer. He didn't have ID. He didn't have a driver's license, but he had the title of the car. For him, it would obviously be an impact to have that car taken away. Because who knows how often he can go out and keep buying new cars. So it's not going to apply to everyone. But you're, you're right, Jenna. There is some action being taken here that I think maybe gives some people in the community hope that it will have an impact on, on some of the worst offenders. It is time to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. Here to ask us that question, as always, is our fabulous executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Oh, Dave, feel free to insert a round of applause right there before I start talking. Actually, I swung by Dave's office before I came up here because I had a question about something. And I said, oh, I'm on the way up to do uh, off the record. And Dave's like, well, what's your question? And then, you know, I was kind of running a couple by him. And then he, we joked that I should come out and be like, Okay, so here's today's off-the-record question. How do you feel about NFTs? <laughs> and then listen to the air just get sucked out of the... <laughs> we, anyway. we just had a conversation similar to this off the podcast where Jenna and I were talking about like cryptocurrency. And no matter how, yeah, many, no matter, Bitcoin, no matter how yeah. many times I read about blockchain technology, I walk away from it going, I still don't get it. I, I yeah, same. That's, yeah, that's how I am too. Okay, so today's off-the-record question is, what is your, when I was your age story or what do you say if you know you're around maybe some younger co-workers or your kids and they go oh why do I have to watch commercials and I say when I was your age we couldn't fast forward through them they're finding they're finding out more and more what it's like now because ever all the streaming services have ads I mean look at Netflix is now going to bring ads into it and you know it's one thing even even just like w watching videos on you know Facebook or whatever or, or, or websites, all of a sudden maybe not Facebook, I don't know, but but you watch them on somebody's website and it used to be like a five second ad you could skip, and now they're like thirty and sixty second ads or double ads, and I'm just pulling my hair out. But of course, we grew up where everything was a two minute block of ads. So I mean that one, yeah, that's just we were used to that. But then again, we also had what three choices. So where were you going to turn? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's probably what I mentioned the most is the TV thing. Like when I was your age, we didn't get to pick the show. We just watched what was on. Like it was some big inconvenience. Yeah, get in front of the TV at that time on that day to watch that show. Right. And in my summer as a kid, I had one TV station at our cabin and it was PBS. So <laughs> there was one channel and it was a knob TV too. So oh, that's, it, there was no fighting over it. You know it. what you never hear anyone say anymore? 
or I don't, I don't know if you guys do. I, I, I don't remember saying this. Like, you can't, don't sit so close to the TV, you'll ruin your eyes. It'll hurt your eyes. <laughs> yeah. I was always sitting right next to the TV because you had to reach the knob. And then they would all, <laughs> yeah, oh, you, you couldn't go too far. Yeah. Now, it may have been true. Those tube TVs, who knows what radiation was coming out of that. So maybe it was maybe that was bad. But um, but now, I mean, our screens are right in front of our faces all day long and no one says that to us. Um, but if it came to like the things I often say, I think with my kids, it is just the idea that like in my day when you drove in the car, you just had to look out the window. You had to like watch the trees or count the number of birds you see or you know, something, I don't know, or, or we played the letter game all the time, you know, look for a letter A, then look for a letter B, or words that start with those things, and now if there is not constant entertainment in the car, ugh, I'm so bored. Are we so, there yeah. yet? How much longer? I agree. I, I guess maybe that's, that's the one that comes to mind for me. Well, in the car one, too, it's not just as easy as like, oh, I'm taking you to a birthday party at a friend's house that we don't know, I have to just pull it up on my phone, on my maps, and hit navigate and now before it was like let me pull up my giant atlas like we had to or i mean you know then that's eventually you got to go to map quest and then you could print out your directions and then follow them my, <laughs> oh, left wait crap I, my I mom still does eight. that my mom who we know we know we know uh sue polson listens to the podcast but my uh, mom still prints out her map quest or whatever it is sue. to bring with her on her trips in the car i think just in case you never know when the technology is going to go down you need that written I, you know there. what? She's probably more prepared than I am because I'm like, nope, I'm <laughs> I am leaning on this phone. Don't fail me now. Well, there's also this expectation that kids have today, and maybe this is my fault, that we always have like a water bottle for them, or we always snacks. have like all these snacks brought along. And I always think like no one brought me a water bottle when I went to the park. You know, that's maybe I did this to myself, but all the kids have water bottles oh, and all the yes. moms have big bags of snacks. <laughs> And it, my, my parents, my mom, it was a very attentive mom. And it was like, okay, I'll find a granola bar in the bottom of my purse. Or a piece of gum. The Nature Valley that's all crumbled up. And you're like picking all the little crumbs <laughs> yeah. of the granola bar out. Or that striped gum that went away after like 10 seconds of flavor. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we're, we're enablers. Yep. That's my fault. That's not a, when I was your age. That's what did I do? I think my kids learned to be disappointed in me as a parent because I was never the one who had all the snacks in the console. You know, their mom would have an endless supply of fruit snacks and Capri Suns and whatever else it is. And they'd ask me what I had and I would search around in there and go, well, I've, there's some mints. Mint? Um, Altoid? Um, yeah. So I, I, never, spicy, I never had that. I'm just trying to teach them to wait. I don't know. It, yeah, no. I wasn't prepared. That's, well, it's true. But then the one time I don't, that's when my kids like, Mom, you got any snacks? No, I don't know. We just had lunch. So why would I have snacks in my purse? Like, I, I also think that like when it comes to the sort of in my day kind of thing, I, I, I mean, there's so many things I could go to. But it, especially when and I, I'm sure you guys are when it's nice out, when it's nice out, I just want them to get out of the house, like just go be physical somewhere because it's Wisconsin and this will not be here long. So on a nice day, get outside because when I was young, that's what we did. We went to the park and we we were swinging in swings and we rode our bikes or skateboards or whatever it was. We kicked the soccer ball. We played outside. And I'm not saying my kids never do that, but certainly their default is not to go play outside. Their default is, no matter how nice the weather is, to stay inside where the screens are and that's where the charger charging cord is. There was one time where my kid brought the tablet outside, so I, I considered <laughs> that about a half win. So You're getting some nature but then the sun gets on the screen so hopefully that <laughs> ruined the it brightness, for him. man they know how to do that 
Oh, shoot. I feel like I do this just at work because, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I'm the reporter who's been here the longest, although, Jenna, you've been here second longest of the reporters at the station. But when, when younger reporters are coming in who I don't realize right away sometimes are from a, a generation beyond me. Um, and I make a reference to something and get blank stares. The other, what did I just make a reference to yesterday? I think I said something about uh, Merv Griffin. I made a Merv Griffin reference on Twitter, and and but the the tweet that I was replying to was I think some younger people, and there was no response. I don't think anyone knew who Merv Griffin was or had ever heard of it, um, unless maybe they saw Kramer talk about Merv Griffin or pretend to be Merv Griffin on on Seinfeld. But even that's like a generation beyond now. So yeah, we had a, a morning show a few months back where Derricka Williams made a reference to the TV show Dinosaurs. And the reporter in the field was just blank. She, she was, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then this got, it turned into a Twitter thing where we were all posting memes of the dinosaur show with the baby dinosaur, Look, Not you know. the mama, not the mama. Not the mama. <laughs> um, and then the other time this happened recently is we have a really nice new reporter named Spencer Tracy. And some people didn't know there was a famous Spencer Tracy at our station. Who was, so, yeah, who, who was not a... You mean not a spe- not, not a, a famous a Spencer movie. Tracy at our station, but a fa- famous Just Spencer in Tracy. The world. People at our yeah. station. Did I meant among that. Yeah, our right. colleagues. There were some young people who said, "Why? Why should that name ring a bell?" <laughs> so there you go. And he's from Milwaukee. Fun yes. fact. I run into this all the time. I made a Sanford and Son reference and, and got a lot of what is Sanford and Son. So that's you know. And if you're listening now and you don't know who Sanford and Son is, I'm sure there's a YouTube video. But thanks for listening to all the way to the very end. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's a good way to wrap it up this week. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and Sarah Smith. And of course, Jenna, thanks again for joining us this week. You are very welcome. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>